This morning I invite you to open your Bible and look with me to Matthew's Gospel, and we're in chapter number 12. If you have your copy of God's Word, I encourage you to open it and find uh, uh, Matthew's Gospel and chapter number 12 today. So, Matthew chapter 12, and we're going to begin today with verse number 33. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. How many of y'all believe that God's got a good word for us today? Raise your hand. All right, tell your neighbor, God's got a good word for you today. All right, he does. He's got a good word for you and a good word for me. So let's look together into God's inspired word in Matthew chapter 12, beginning with verse 33. These are the words of Jesus. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good. And an evil and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted. And by your words, you will be condemned. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we've just heard the reading of your word. Father, we feel the conviction and the strength of it. Now, Father, help us as we meditate and contemplate and lift truth from this passage Help us to hear it fresh. And help us to be changed as we turn to you with all of our hearts. Father, help us today not to be distracted and not Lord, help us not to just discount your word, but help us to hear it, to seek to know it, and to obey it. God, have your way in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I want to talk about the power of our words. And indeed, our words are powerful. There couldn't be a Recess rhyme that's less true. Sticks and stones may break my, but words will never harm me. They do harm us, don't they? Words are powerful. And so Jesus is speaking to us, and he gets to the issue of our words, but he first deals with the source of our problem. 
And the first of all, notice in verse number 33, he talks about two different trees. He says there's a good tree that produces good fruit, and there's a bad tree that produces bad fruit or evil fruit. Jesus is teaching here, and he's warning us about our lives that we are living, the choices that we make, the pathway that we take. And he's teaching two ways, two lives, things that are distinctively different, distinguishable from one another, separated in appearance and productivity from one another, binary, not on a spectrum, two different kinds of lives, two trees. Jesus had used this analogy before in Matthew's gospel, chapter number seven. Notice he's talking about two. He's talking about the Two trees, two lives, two paths, two different ways to go. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, notice, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. But how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life? And few find it. He talks about two different pathways. There's two roads that you can take, two lifestyles, two choices. One is the big, broad, wide way. It's, it's crowded. It's popular. It feels right. It's the way the world and culture seems to flow. It's well-traveled. It seems familiar. It is the broad way. But the end is destruction. But there's a narrow way, a more difficult way, a less popular way, and a more difficult seemingly way. But it leads to life. He says there's two different gates, meaning two decisions. One's wide, few restrictions. Easy access. The other, more narrow. It's more of a turnstile entry rather than a broad way. And as you go through it, it's not easy, but it leads to life. What he's talking about is two different men, two different people, two different types of people, two different lives, two different destinies. This should make us think about the Psalms and Proverbs and the wisdom literature. Psalm 1 teaches us this great truth. If you have your Bible, look with me to Psalm number 1. Listen to, to what the psalmist says. He said, blessed is the man who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners nor sit in the company of mockers. He said, blessed is a man that, this, the, that doesn't live like this man. And there's, he distinguishes between the two. On the one hand is the one who rejects the law of God, who walks in the advice of the wicked, goes, he stands in the pathway of sinners, he sits in the company of mockers, he, he, he's moving and has become anchored in the false 
narrative of the world. And over against this is another kind of man. These, uh, these wicked, these that go that way, they end up being like the chaff. And the chaff is separated from the wheat and, and, and at the threshing floor, the kernels are broken and they are thrown up into the wind. And as ch the chaff is separated from the kernels, the heavier kernel falls to the ground, but the chaff is blown away by the wind. And it blows away and it has no value. So is the wicked man, the man that doesn't walk in the ways of the Lord. They don't stand in the judgment nor in the assembly of the righteous. And their life, it leads to ruin. See, this is exactly what Jesus is teaching. There's two ways. There's two trees. There's two gates. There's, there's, there's this choice. And on this one path, it's destruction, but another path, it's life. Are you all with me today? Contrasted with this one that goes the way of the world is the one who delights in the law. And in his law, he does meditate both day and night. And that man, that person, that boy, that girl, that man, that woman will be like a tree that's firmly planted by streams of water that bears fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. It's life. Wow. And so God has set before us, Moses did too, life or death. Which way? What kind of life will I live? Proverbs uses a similar analogy. It's like two sons. One obeys his father and mother, listens to their instruction, obeys the law of God, orders his life by the word of God, pursues wisdom. But the other son follows the siren call of the world, gives himself to spiritual adultery and idolatry, casts off the teaching of the law, rejects the instruction of his parents, and ends in death. So my question today is, what path are you on? What path are you traveling on? What decision have you made in your heart about your life and how you will live it? The pathway you've chosen. Here's my question to you. The pathway that you've chosen. What is the destination? Where does it end? I'm asking you to take this very seriously. The, path that you, the life that you're living, what's the end result of that life? The way you're living it. I think we're foolish not to ask that, right? I'll never forget the first time I went to New York City. I was in awe of the place. Huge city. Manhattan, skyscrapers, it was unbelievable. The buzz in the, the city, I was only there for a few hours. I 
had my oldest son with me, Andy, and we'd never been on the subway before in our life. And so I was trying to get to Manhattan, and I ended up in the Bronx. When we ended up in the Bronx, I said, we've gone the wrong destination. We need to make a change. So what did we do? We got off. We got out of the subway. We crossed over. We paid the fare. We got back on. We went the other way. Because it didn't take us where we wanted to go. Some of you are on a road to a destination that you don't want to go. And it means you need to repent. And it means leaving, turning, and returning back to God. That's the road to life. Repentance and trust in God. Amen? Why do we rebel against the Lord and his law? I think that as we think about this, we rebel against the Lord because we think that the Lord's law, that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, we think the Ten Commandments, we think that they're too restrictive. They're too difficult. They're not, not just restrictive, but somehow or another we're we've become convinced in this lie that God is holding back on real life. And that real meaning and real life, that somehow if we obey the law of God, that, that we're going to miss out, that God's holding out on us, that he doesn't want the best for us. He doesn't really want you to have a life of joy and life and happiness and freedom, that somehow God is against you, not really for you. And we believe the lie, that joy is found away from him, and in disobeying him, in something other than him. And here's the result. Here's the result. Listen to me. The result is when we rebel against God and his word, that everything we wanted is lost. And everything that God wanted for us and that you really want could be found in following God. Amen. Imagine this kind of world. How would you like to live in this world where every boy and girl and loved their mom and their dad? And they respected their mom and their dad. And the, 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 the parents respected and loved and cared for their children. How would you all like to live in that kind of world? Where they respect authority, respect the governments, respect the laws. That they honor their father and their mother. Wouldn't that be awesome? And wouldn't it be awesome to live in the world where there's never any murder? 
Never any killing, never any slander, never any abusive language, never any gossip, never any tearing down. Wouldn't that be awesome to live in that world where when somebody talked about you, they weren't trying to destroy you? And wouldn't it be great to live in a world, can you imagine, where nobody ever lies to you? Except when you ask them, do I look fat in this today? Nobody lies. Everybody speaks the truth to each other. Everybody speaks the truth to one another. And wouldn't it be great to live in a world where we live faithfully, that we don't destroy relationships, that we don't commit adultery, that there's never any a divorce, and no child would ever have to know the fracture and the, the fissure of a broken home and broken family? Wouldn't that be awesome that every child grew up in a secure home and family and, and where they, mom and dad loved each other? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome to love in a world where you never had to lock the door, ever. You didn't have to lock your car, ever. Nobody ever stole at all. <laughs> How would you like to live in that kind of world? And nobody coveted. And nobody wanted what you wanted. Nobody was jealous or envious. And that people loved one another. That'd be heaven on earth, wouldn't it? And that's what God wants for you. And that's what God ultimately will bring. His rule in this world. That's life. <laughs> Back to our teaching of Jesus in verse number 34 and 35, notice what the Lord says. There's not only two trees, it's really two hearts. He says, the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. Then he talks about the storeroom, your treasure, where your treasures are. A good person produces good things from his storeroom, his treasure of good. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasure of evil. It's talking about what's inside of your heart. You see, the heart is the source of how we speak. The heart is the source of how we act. And it comes out of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. Vance Havner, old-time preacher, used to say, What's down in the well comes up in the bucket. That's true. I went to my concussion doctor uh, last week, and they had ordered a, a couple of weeks ago an MRI of my brain. He said, Brother Tim, good news. We found one. It's small, but it's there. I said, I'd like to see it. And so he opened his computer and turned it toward me and we looked at my images of my brain. That's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? And it's showing all the intersections of different images of my brain in black and white. And as we're looking at it, it's the size of the brain, the shape of the brain. 
And he said they ran another test I really didn't ask for, but they must be doing some kind of research project. And so you look like somebody that needs research. And so they did this. And it's further detail of the interior of my brain and the movement of energy within it. And it was called color. It was in color. It was amazing. And so we talked about it, and he was showing me things about my brain that was inside of it. That technology is amazing. But what's in your heart? You see, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, they do images of our heart. And they see exactly what is going on in the interior of your life. And in the interior of your life, what's there? What is inside of you? In Matthew's Gospel, it says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your heart? What's in your heart? What's the mode of your, of your heart? What are the idols of your heart? Is there a love of God in the heart of your life? What is in my heart? A love for the Lord? A desire to please Him? A love or a love for my selfish own agenda? Quickly, I need to move on. There are two fruits. There's good fruit in verse 33 and 35, or what he calls evil fruit. What's the difference? The good fruit is obedience toward God. The good fruit from a good tree is I desire my life to be obedient to God. Not only that, there's joy. The fruit of my life, right ordered before God, will be joy in my life. An absence of joy is very, very telling. Not only that, love. Real love for God and love for other people. And if that's in my heart, that's good fruit that shows itself in my relationships with other people. Evil fruit shows itself differently. It's rebellion. You're always a rebel. Always rebelling against authority, disobedience, deception, not telling the truth. And rather than your heart being filled with love, it's filled with anger and hate. And it comes out in your words. There were many false prophets in Jesus' day. In chapter 7, verse 15, he speaks about these false prophets. They have an outward appearance. But the inward reality is different than that outward appearance. So what is it that fruit, that fruit is the fruit of your life, the fruit of your words, tells us what's inside of your heart. James picks up on this very idea. And if you have your Bible, look with me briefly to James chapter number three, verse number eight. For no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does the spring pour out sweet and bitter water 
from the same opening, the same fountain. When you go to the faucet and you fill up a cold glass of refreshing water and you drink that refreshing water and you say, that is good. And then you could go to the same spigot, the same faucet, the same tap, and you take the water and it's polluted and fouled and smells like sulfur and you drink it and you say, this is putrid and you spit it out of your mouth. How can one faucet produce two different streams of water? It shouldn't because if the faucet's good, the water should be good. The issue is in the heart, what is coming out of, with your words and with your actions. Verse 12, James says, Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt water spring yield fresh water. What's in your heart comes out of your words. Your words can build up and strengthen and praise God and, and lavish praise on him and build up the congregation and build up your family and build up your mate and, and bless other people. Or it can tear down and it can be a poison. The issue, the difference, listen, is in the heart. It's not only your words, it's your works. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he would show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. In your relationships, in your works, and how you relate to one another. Verse 14. If you have bitter envy, selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast. And deny the truth. Such wisdom doesn't come from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Where envy and selfish ambition, he said, exist, there's disorder in every evil practice. But there's another wisdom, a wisdom from above. And that's pure and then peace-loving and gentle and compliant and full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. These are the works and the words of a life ordered under the lordship of Christ. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. There's two judgments. Back to our text. He says... In verse number 36, I tell you on that day of judgment, people will have to give an account for every word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. What is the judgment? Either justified, acquitted, declared right, or condemned. And when the courtroom now, it's a courtroom scene, when the court is convened and the judge is making his judgment and the evidence is brought forward, the evidence comes from your life and your words. 
and your works. And they give testimony to which way you've chosen. And the judgment is determined by the evidence. And the evidence is your life and your words. Is anybody uncomfortable yet? I am. How can I change? What about my heart? How do I change? I'm glad you asked. This is how we change. We change by the work of God in our hearts. Our hearts, we need God to do a work in you. Remember when Paul was writing to the church at Corinth and he said, these kinds of people will never inherit the kingdom of God. But then he said, but so were such were some of you. But you were washed. Aren't you glad? You were washed. You were made holy. You were sanctified. You were justified. How? In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God did a work in you. God took your old wicked heart and he changed it. And God took all the sin stains and he cleansed them. And he's washed you and he made you brand new inside. That's our only hope. Sin stains can only be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What what can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Dark, dark, dark is the stain I cannot hide. What, what can avail to wash it away? Look, look, there's flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. It's amazing, love. It's amazing. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter number 36, the prophet said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will place my spirit within you and I'll cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. This is the work of regeneration, of new creation, of heart surgery, heart transplant. Removes the heart of stone, removes the heart of rebellion, removes the heart of, re of, of, of rebellion against God and obstinance and self-serving. And he puts in a new heart. And that new heart is a heart after God and a heart that wants to obey God and know God and keep his ordinances. That's the change that only God can make. You cannot fix your own broken heart. You must 
be born again. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. And see, the new has come. God does all the saving. And you say, Brother Tim, how? How can I do that? How do I know this in my life? Number one, you need to acknowledge you're going the wrong way in your life. All of us have sinned and come short of his glory. How many of you agree with us? We've all sinned and made a mess of our life. Listen, we've all, there's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. The Bible says if we say we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We've all made a mess. We've all gone the wrong way and we've all got a rebellion in our heart. So we acknowledge our sin to God. Secondly, we need to believe. We need to believe that God loves us. God sent his own son. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To believe in him means to put our trust in him, our reliance upon him, to lean on him and not ourselves. And believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died for your sins and my sins, and God raised him from the dead. And if you do, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God will save you. God will change you. But there are two decisions. And this text really has a decision in it. And what he says in this text is make the tree good or make it evil. What about your life? What about your own life and your own decision? Jesus concluding the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew tells the parable of two different men, two different lives. And he said, one built, he, both of these people built houses. They built houses in the same neighborhood, on the same, what seems like the same kind of structures. They built houses. But there's a big contrast between the two. Because when the winds comes and the rain pours down and the storms beat against one house, it collapses. And on another house, and it stands. What's the difference? The difference is both hear the word of God. Now listen, listen to me. One hears and doesn't obey. The other hears and obeys. The one that obeys is built on the solid rock of Christ. And the one that disobeys, it's on sand. One life stands. One life is lost. This is what Jesus is teaching. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end leads in destruction, death. 
But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. There's only one life that stands, and that which is anchored on Jesus Christ and obedient to God's word. What kind of life are you living? What's the destination of your life? At the judgment scene of your life, what will be the evidence for your acquittal or your judgment? Have you turned to Jesus alone as your Savior? That's your only hope. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It's so powerful. It's so true. So convicting. And Lord, I know that today I have no hope but in Jesus Christ alone. If there's one person here today or multiple persons that today they realize they're on the path that leads to hell, not to life. I pray that today they would repent and come home and in faith put their trust in Jesus Christ. Have your way in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.